So this morning, Mark chapter 7, we're continuing our verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph through the gospel of Mark. This is week 29. We break in between for Christmas and a few other things there at the beginning of the year, but we, we want to get to know Jesus better. We want to know what Jesus says more clearly. We want to see what Jesus does more clearly, and we want to, to know how Jesus wants us to, to live in relationship to him more clearly. So we have chosen to go through the gospel of Mark and just see what Jesus has to say and what he does and how that applies to us. So we're uh, still in chapter 7. We began it last week. But, you know, there's a, there's a game that all of us play. It's a, it's a game that's played on every playground every day during recess. It's a game you played on the playground. It's a, it's a game that's played in every living room and every dining room and in every place of employment, every cubicle and every office and every break room. It's a game that's it's played in every car that's driving down the road. It's, it's a game that uh, you played at, as a child at a very, very early age even, but yet you still find it fulfilling to, to play the game today. In actuality, is it's a game that's ancient. Uh, historians that look at history and patterns of culture tell us that this game actually uh, goes all the way back perhaps even to the beginning of time. And, and we, we, we find that uh, uh, it's a game we all participate in. It's called the blame game. Anybody ever play the blame game? Now, come on, let's just be real. It's called the blame game. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Chapter 3 of the beginning of the book. Adam eats the fruit. Eve eats the fruit. Lucifer makes the fruit look appealing and deceives them. And Adam's first response when God approaches him in the garden is, the woman made me eat this. The woman's response is, don't point the finger at me. This snake made me eat it. And then from that day until this very moment, March, whatever it is, is this, this the 6th, March 6, 2022, Satan is still blaming you because you're the apple of God's eye. You are the crown of his creation, and that's what Lucifer desired all the way before time began when he said, I will ascend above God. And so he still is in the blame game. You see, we tend to blame everyone else for sin except ourselves. Can I go ahead and just tell you this morning so everybody can just kind of loosen up your shoulders a little bit. Just get the tension out. Take it. Everybody breathe in deep. Go. Because we're going to talk about sin this morning. Here's the beauty of being a pastor who likes to teach verse by verse through books of the Bible is I didn't pick to talk about sin today. Sin picked me. Jesus picked today to talk about this issue. This is the progression of where we are in our study, so we get to talk about it this morning, okay? But we tend to blame everybody else for our sin except us. This morning, we're going to discover Jesus points two fingers right at us when he talks about our problems with sin. To bring you up to speed, last week we began chapter 7 and Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees, you'll recall. 
And they wanted to know why the disciples didn't ceremonially, remember, cup their hands, let somebody pour water over it, and then rub one hand this way, and one hand this way, and then one hand this way, and one hand this way, and then palms down, have somebody pour water over it, and then they could eat their bologna sandwich. They wanted to know why his disciples didn't ceremonially wash their hands. Now, the key Jesus honed in on was, that's your rule, that's not God's rule. And you'll recall, if you were with us last week, if you weren't, it's online, victoryfamily.com. You can go back. We talked about legalism. We talked about the danger of legalism and what it is. It is holiness by rules, not by heart condition. And Jesus says, look, you guys have your rituals of washing hands, but, but you nullify all the other things God says. It's not about your hands today, Jesus. Now, so, so where we're going to read is really a completion of what we started last week reading. Uh, but I chose to make two teachings out of this instead of just combine it all into one. And this is a continuation. So he's saying last week, it's not about your hands. This week, he's telling us what it means is it's about your heart. You can ceremonially wash your hands by ritual and rule and some sort of thing that you've made up to appear holy to God. That's between you and him. But Jesus tells us this morning, it's all about your heart. It's not about your hands. Your hands respond from your heart. So today he continues on this point. You see, we are born, and dare I even say we are born saturated in sin. Now, how many of you are glad you bought a ticket for this morning and showed up for that encouragement? Well, hang on, because it is going to get better, but we got we to gotta deal with some things before we really can understand the fullness of the good news. We're born and even saturated in sin. From the fall of man in Genesis 3, even the atmosphere of this earth is just saturated in sin. It's all around us. And we are rooted deeply within it, and it is deeply rooted within us, Jesus will point out this morning. So we're going to talk about the heart when we talk about sin, and so I want to define heart for you for a moment this morning. When we talk about heart, we're not talking about the physical muscle that pumps life into your body. Your physical heart is central to your well-being. A weak heart produces a weak body. A weak body has trouble uh, functioning. So the physical heart is central. When the Bible talks about heart, almost always it's not about the physical muscle. It is talking about the spirit of man. So let me define for you the heart this morning. The heart is the depth of your inner being. It is the very core of you. It is the part of you that thinks, wills, feels, and desires. The heart includes your soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. When the Word of God says, love God with all your heart, it means with everything within you, from the very depth of your being, let Jesus be the center. Let Jesus be all that you want and desire first and foremost. Seek first His kingdom. That's the heart. And so the heart that's been saturated in sin from the beginning of our life needs radical transformation, needs to be transformed in a powerful and only miraculous way. And the only way that it can happen is by the grace that comes through the love of Jesus 
and the application of his precious sinless blood to cleansing our hearts. With that, let's go to Mark chapter 7, picking up in verse number 14 this morning. And there we read, And he called the people to him again, and he said to them, Now remember, he's just come out of the confrontation with the Pharisees. They're all standing there. Now he, dealt, he was dealing with the people. Then the Pharisees challenged him in the middle of the crowd, so he stopped and dealt with them. Now he's back to the people. And he called the people to him again, and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. Jesus wants us to know this morning what he's about to say is of the utmost importance to our, to our being now and into eternity. He says this. Remember, he's been talking to the Pharisees about clean and unclean hands and food and all this. So he's staying in that line of food. He says, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But it is the things that come out of a person that defiled him. And when he, verse 17, had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. So now he's just got the small crew with him, his inner circle. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever, what, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach? And it is expelled, and everybody said, okay, we know what that means. Thus, in parentheses, Mark gives a commentary, thus he declared all foods clean. Hallelujah, yes, and amen for bacon, shrimp, lobster, pork burnt ends, right? So he declared all foods clean. Verse 20, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, and adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile the person. Now, let me, let me put a side note here. Real quickly, Jesus is talking about, when he talks about nothing from the outside can defile you, he's talking about food. He's saying food in itself, which we've been talking to the Pharisees about, food within itself cannot defile you. Can it make you fat? Yeah. Can it send you to an early grave if it's overdone and the wrong food? Absolutely so, yes. But when he says those things from outside of you cannot defile you, he's talking about physical food. We know from Scripture that if we do nothing but fill our minds with corruption and lust and immorality and vileness and vulgarness and, and worldliness, that it's going to have an effect on the inside of us. That spiritually happens. But Jesus is not saying, hey, you can go do anything you want and it's not going to defile you. That's not what he's saying. He is still, let's keep it in its context, stay true to his word. He is still talking about the food issue until he gets to those last couple of verses. And he says, here's the reality what defiles you, coming out of you, is, is coming from a heart that's defiled, a heart that's got, got sin. So I'm going to give you three summary truths here for a moment. Here, here's what's interesting. Mark and Jesus both just leave us hanging right there. 
because we're going to pick up next week in verse 24, and it's a totally different scenario and setting. In other words, Jesus says this. He points the finger at us and says the defilement is inside of you. You're responsible for your sin. And then he just drops the mic. He gives us no more commentary. You would almost anticipate Jesus would then build on that a little bit and and take it a little deeper and then even offer us some loving arms wrapped around us to embrace us. And Well, he does all that, but he just doesn't do that right here. He'll do that in, a, in about another year and a half in his life when he dies on the cross and he rises from the dead. But here he just leaves it. So the best way I could present this to us in a, in a methodical way this morning was to, to give you three summary truths and then some application to that. So in summarizing what Jesus has just told us in those few verses of Mark 7, the first fundamental or the first summary truth is this. Your sin doesn't make you a sinner. Your sin doesn't make you a sinner. Now, some of you are like, okay, that's cool. Because I just thought I was a sinner reprobate. That's not necessarily... Well, I'm saying hang in because there's a couple of more summary truths that go with this. Jesus is following up on his encounter with the Pharisees about ritual cleaning and food. We keep that in mind. It's not about food from the outside that defiles you. It's what comes out of you that defiles you. And what comes out of you is what's in your heart. He's talking about an issue of the heart. Everything in these verses is centered on the heart of man. The Pharisees were content without heart transformation by following hand-washing rules and 612 other rules and regulations to show that they were holy before God. Now, if that's what they choose to impress God, that's cool between them and God, but what Jesus was rebuking them for was the fact that they were trying to make everybody else do these things as though those things had authority from the Word of God, and they didn't. told you last week, God gave us 10, Jesus brought it down to two commandments. Love God, love others. He says all the law is summed up right there. They added 613 to it, and they were making everybody else try to follow those 613. Jesus says, stop the foolishness. So your sin, your act of sin, doesn't make you a sinner. Let's talk about this word sin for a moment. Most of you that have been around here any length of time, you've heard me define sin this way, self-rule. Everybody say self-rule. Sin is not a list of don'ts. Sin is a condition of the heart where I choose my will, my way, my desires, over what is God's holy, righteous design. It's what Adam and Eve did. God said, you've got everything available to you in the garden except one tree. Most of us think we could live with that, but we found out we can't either. Just one tree, you got all the others. And you got every animal in the garden. Rabbit stew, deer jerky, whatever. You've got it all available to you, and there's just this one tree. But you see, at the moment that Eve allowed Satan to deceive her, and the moment then that uh, she took the, the fruit and then Adam took the fruit, is that they made a conscious decision in that moment of time that they would choose what they wanted over what God had commanded. That's called sin. So if it's me doing what I want 
opposed to what God wants, it's sin. It's not about smoking and chewing and going with the girls what do kind of thing. It's about the heart. So your sin doesn't make you a sinner. It's not your lying. It's not your lusting. It's not your stealing. It's not your pride, your greed, your arrogance that makes you a sinner. Those are the outward expressions of a condition on the inside called sin, self-rule. The second summary truth is this that goes along with that. You sin because we're sinners. We sin outwardly because on the inside, our heart is filled with sin. Verse 21, Jesus said this, For from within, out of the heart of man, come these evil thoughts, come these sexual immorality, and so on. You didn't just accidentally, abruptly cuss your neighbor out recently uh, because it was... You just you didn't know, and, and, and it was just a sudden deal. Your emotions caught you, and you caught. You, you did that not because you're a cusser, but because you're, there's sin in the heart somewhere. And it's the overflow. It's the overflow of the heart. From the earliest time as we're born, we have this sin nature. Babies are beautiful, aren't they? Just so cuddly and cute and snuggly. You just want to get their cheeks and go all over them. But given the first opportunity to make a conscious choice between right and wrong, you've all seen it as good and cute and sweet as your little baby was. They chose. They chose what they wanted. From the various early of age, we learn to disobey. We, we learn to grab other people's toys, other kids' toys. We learn to tell little white lies if there's such a thing. And, and it's all because the reality is the sin in our hearts. We're sinners. We have been from inception. You say, man, pastor, you're being awfully rude to us this morning. No, I'm talking to me, man. I'm, I'm talking to me. I've been through the deep rinse, the wash cycle, the spin cycle. Have yet to be dried this morning, this week, going through this. But Jeremiah 17, 9, let me, let, me, let me lay some foundation for you on this truth that we sin because we're sinners. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, God says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Psalm 51, verse 5, David's beautiful prayer of repentance after he finally comes clean with God and, and acknowledges what God already knew. He has committed sin, adultery with Bathsheba, and he has committed murder by setting up her husband to be killed. And he cries out to God in this beautiful prayer of repentance. I believe Psalm 51, you should go home and read it today. And I believe that it is the reason David was still known and still is known today as the greatest king of Israel, though he committed murder and, and adultery, and he's still known as a man after God's own heart. How do you do that when you blatantly commit adultery and, and murder? It's because he repented. Because he genuinely broke before God and said, God, I have sinned against you. He didn't blame it on Bathsheba for being out there on top of her roof bathing. He didn't blame it on anybody else. He tried that for a while till he got caught by the prophet 
But he comes clean with God. And in verse 5, he says, it's surely I was sinful at birth. The reason I did this, he says, is I know my heart has been conceived in sin. And he was a man of God who's written a bunch of songs to God and sang them out in the, in the woods and in the pastures, tending sheep and playing his harp and, and doing these things for God. He's the one who stood before Goliath and said, you come against us with sword and spear. We come, I come against you in the name of God. And as a teenager, he slew the great giant of the Philistines. That's this David. And he says, I don't know when this happened. All right, well, he does, he does know, but he says, Lord, it just, it, it just came out of me. And the reason it came out, I guess, is because I have a a sinful heart. I don't think David's intent was ever to to be adulterous or murderous. He didn't sit out in the pastures tending sheep, writing beautiful hymns to God at the same time thinking about committing adultery with everybody around. But it happened. And how did it happen? He says, from birth. From birth, my heart has been sinful. So you say, well, that's Old Testament. Okay, well, Paul in the New Testament tells us, Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. But God has a plan. Okay, can, let me, can I bring you some good news this morning? I hope you don't feel beat up this morning, but I do think we have to take those two pointed fingers of Jesus rather seriously this morning. But there is good news. Ezekiel, all the way back in the old covenant, God promises this in Ezekiel 36. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Okay, so when I told you that this program I used to type my notes into was messed up, I just read verse 19 before verse, or I just read verse 26 before 27, didn't I? Or I mean, I read 27. Yeah, because that's what this stupid thing did yesterday when I was typing. I've gone in and corrected it three times this morning. All right, let me start over. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. What's that going to look like? Verse 27, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God promises he's going to give us a new heart. That new heart is going to come as his spirit moves in and takes up residence in us and fills us with his very presence. That's you. That's me. That's our generation. That spoken hundreds of years ago, centuries ago, is in its fulfillment right now. And if you've received the infilling of the Spirit by being born again at your confession of Christ, then he's talking about you. You've been given a new heart by the Spirit of God that's come to live inside of you. In Isaiah, God tells the prophet, and he speaks to us, he says, Come now, let us settle this matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. They are red as crimson, but they will be like wool. That's what happened at the cross of Calvary. That is you and me. Confessing Christ, forgiven of our sin, covered in the blood of Jesus. Our sin was scarlet. It has been washed white as snow. John the Apostle. 1 John 1 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And catch this, my friends. In fact, read it with me. And the blood of Jesus His Son purifies us from all sin. Hallelujah. Say it amen and amen. It is the blood of Jesus that purifies us from all of our sin. 
It seemed hopeless there. You were wondering if there was any good news in any of this. And we have to understand the the depth of the bad news, how bad the bad news is to really get how good the good news is. There is only forgiveness, Hebrews tells us, offered by by, by blood. You only get forgiveness by the shedding of blood. That's why animals died in the old covenant at the tabernacle and at the temple, at the altar, was because God required life for life. And you see, sin produces death. It separates us from God. It separates us from the life of God. That's why Adam and Eve had to leave the garden. But he says, I now give the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And then Isaiah 53 verse 5. The prophet saw the crucifixion of Christ. What's interesting is he saw Christ crucified before crucifixion as a means of torture by the Roman government was ever, well, even before the Roman government existed, he saw what crucifixion was. And he says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. And again, I tell you, that word healed means whole. Does it mean physical healing? Oh, absolutely, because being whole means being whole spirit, soul, and body. Now, I want to show you something out of that verse right there in Isaiah 53. If you've been with us long, you've heard me share this more than probably 257 times, but it's a reminder to you. Maybe you haven't heard how I present this, so here you go. I I wanted to bring some healing and some freedom in our walk with the Lord this morning. So it talks there about transgressions and iniquities. Transgressions are the outward sins. Lying. Cheating. Stealing murdering, committing adultery, the outward things we do that are self-rule, the expressions outwardly of the self-rule of our heart. So those are the things we do. So it says Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. To be pierced, remember, Jesus on the cross, he was pierced in his sides, he was pierced in his feet with nails and in his hands. His scalp was pierced with the thorns, the crown of, crown of thorns, and his body was ripped into to shreds and stripes on his body and his torso and on his legs from the beating with the whip. He bled outwardly. His blood drained from his body to the ground so that he could cover our lying in those times we've cheated, those times we've lusted, those times we've committed adultery. Hopefully not the times we've murdered. Hopefully that, that, well, I mean, hey, if you've been redeemed and they set you free and you did your time, I'm good with you, man. But he died, he gave his blood. That blood bled outwardly to cover our sin. But it says he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. So what is iniquities? Transgression is the outward expression. Iniquities is our heart. The word iniquity means Bent. And it's like the bent of an arrow. In fact, it's used for that term. Iniquity means to be bent. And if you have an arrow that's bent, when you put it in the bow and you go to shoot it, you're going to miss your target. You may be dead eye on with the bullseye, but your arrow is going to fly way off course because it's bent that direction. So when when Paul tells us in Romans that we have all sinned, and come short of the glory of God, what he's telling us is we have all flown way off target. 
that iniquity is your bent. It's what's in your heart. And what does it say Jesus did on the cross there? It says he was crushed. Some translations go even further and call it bruised, and it, can mean, it means both. He was bruised. For, you know what a bruise is? It's bleeding on the inside, right? He bled outwardly for the acts of our sin. He bled inwardly for the condition of our sin on the inside. So he covered us outward. He covered us inward. And by his wounds, we are made whole. He cleanses our hearts from that iniquity. His blood washes us clean. He cleans up our motives. He cleans up our desires. He gives us a will to want to honor Him and live for Him and serve Him. And how does He do that? How do we acquire that? Ephesians 2, Paul says, For it is by grace God's free gift to you of His Son. For it is by grace you have been saved. Saved from what? Saved from the controlling influence and the punishment and the penalty of this heart of iniquity. You've been saved from that. Jesus took all of that on himself through faith. You believe that. You didn't see Jesus do it, but you've read it in the Gospels, and you believe it, and you acquire that for you. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not by ceremonially washing your hands. It is not by choosing to cut or not cut your hair. It's not by what you choose to wear to look holy. It's not by what you choose to do to act or look holy. It's not by works so that you can't boast about it. All you can do is boast in Jesus. The grace that displays his love, his power, and his freedom from the controlling influence of sin. So we do sinful things because we're sinners. We need a transformed heart that only Jesus can give us. That's the gospel. And he does just that when we repent and we call on him. But I told you there were three summary truths. Jesus gives us one more thing we, we really need to give some consideration to this morning. He goes on and he lists the various sins. And you may have read those and you may have thought, well, those don't apply to me because I don't do those things. But be careful for just a moment, let's, let's dive into this one last summary truth, and that is this. Your potential to sin may be greater than you know. Your potential to sin may be greater than you realize it is. He says in verse 21, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all of these things come from within and they defile a person. Now you may look at that and say, well, that, that's not me. But we have to go back to the whole teaching of Jesus. And there was a moment in time, and I believe we read it in Matthew, it's not on a slide or anything for you there, but there was a moment when Jesus said, you, 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 you choose not to commit adultery, but he says, if you look upon a woman lustfully, you have already committed the sin of adultery, because you see, it's not the look that makes you a sinner, it's the sinful condition of the heart that makes you look. And that's the same condition that's going to make you want to pursue that. It's the condition of the heart. 
what Jesus has just outlined in those three verses are the outward demonstrations of what's sinful in our hearts. But they come from a heart that's sinful. But you say, and I, I, I'm, I've had a few rounds of questions and talks with God this week about this. You're saved. We're saved from our sin. I'm saved from my sin through and through. The curse has been broken. The power and the penalty of sin has been removed from me. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I have not only the hope, but the assurance that my hope is in eternal life. That when Christ comes and takes the church to be with him, or I go by way of the grave first, he is preparing a place for me, and I live with that assurance and that confidence. But I still do stupid stuff. And by that I mean sinful things. Things I know, God, why did I do that? Where did that come from? I think I've told this story before, but not just a few months after I got saved, at the age of 21, I had moved from Southern California to Houston where my folks were. And, um, I got saved, and I'm, I'm actually working at the church. I'm a janitor at the church, and I'm driving down I-10. If any of you are from Houston, you can sympathize with me. That's just, that's just one big, that's just big, one big, uh, well, I'm just going to say H-E-L-L hole is the traffic in Houston. And I'm driving down I-10, and this truck driver cut me off, and I'm saved. I got the Holy Ghost. Man, I'm listening to Leon Patillo or Keith Green or somebody on my radio because I didn't listen to anything in those days except Christian music. And I just whip around him, and I pull up, and I just waved at him. But I didn't have all my fingers up. And as soon as I did that, I broke down and I started crying. Now, I didn't let the trucker see that. I sped on past it. And I broke down. Man, I was crushed. And I got to the church, and I went straight to the, to the associate pastor's office there. And, and I said, he could tell I was upset. I said, John, I cannot believe this. And I told him what happened. And he, his only response was, it's amazing how much of that old stuff is still there. I didn't mean to do it. I didn't want to do it. Well, I guess I did, but I didn't want the want. I wanted to please Jesus, but in that moment, I had too much of my want over the want of Jesus. So where does that, where does that come from? Well, the potential, even though I'm saved, the potential for me to sin is still there. You see, there's, there's this thing that Jesus has done to, to cleanse us and purify us. And then there is this statement that Paul makes when he says, we need to work out our salvation. Now, we should be crystal clear we're not working for our salvation. Jesus has taught us that last weekend into this week. But Paul says, work out our salvation. Jesus has done the part of cleansing us. I've got to protect it. I've got to preserve my heart. So, not trying to show you a, a, a shameless video of my horse. There's a lesson. There's a lesson to be learned. Some of you saw it on Facebook the other day, but I, uh, I 
bathed Jack a couple of weeks ago. In five minutes after I bathed him and squeegeed him, he's still wet. I let him in the pasture, and the knucklehead did that right there. And he just wallowed in the dirt and got up and shook it off and went about his business. I just spent 45 minutes. And I show you that not because I like Jack. I do, and, and you, should, you should like Jack, but you should not be like Jack. Do not be like Jack. When Jesus cleanses your heart, don't roll around in the stuff anymore. Amen. Get out of it. Protect the cleanness that Jesus has given to you. You see, there's two views of sin after we come to Christ. This is what I've come to observe as a pastor for some 30 years or so now. Some people believe that when they have gotten saved and Jesus has cleansed them, that they can do anything they want because it's covered in the blood of Jesus. And I do happen to believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for my past sins, my present sins, and any future sins. But there is nowhere in the scripture that I'm given a license to, to be born again and filled with the precious power and flaming fire of his Holy Spirit and continue to just do what I've always done. If that's the case, I may not have been born again. Oh, man. Bootsy, I think I just said that out loud. By the way, it's good to have Datrian's mom and sister with us in the service this morning. Let's give them a hand this morning. She came to check in on her boy, make sure he's, make sure he's eating good, right? I think he is. Pretty sure he is. But you see, we don't get this license to just, just do what we want to. Here's, here's what happens when we continue in sin. It desensitizes us spiritually. We start to lose the intimacy with Jesus because slowly our desire for the old sin starts to creep back in and we start remembering and we think in what it was like and we just kind of get reconnected to it and, and it's hard to stay intimate with Jesus. And In fact, Paul said you can't get clean water out of a dirty cistern. Romans 1 assures us, and you don't have this scripture on, on the overhead, but it assures us that continual hardness of the heart our continual sin hardens our heart to God. In Romans 1, it says that they knew God, but they didn't honor God. And so God gave them over to the hardness of their hearts. That's spooky. It hinders our prayer life. When you're continuing in sin, you can't effectively pray. In fact, David prayed this prayer. He said, if I had harbored sin in my heart, you would not have heard my prayer. It weakens our worship. Continuing in, a, in an attitude of sin, I may, I may say I love Jesus, and, but, but my actions aren't showing it and my heart's not showing it. And, and worship may be lifting of the hands. I may be doing the Pharisee thing and just reading the words off the screen. Or I, I may be like the one lady we used to have back in the day when we had choir at Victory Family Church and I'm just lip syncing the words while I look around to see what somebody else is wearing today. And some of you know exactly who I'm talking about too, God lover. By the way, she's not here this morning, and she's not listening in mind, so. <laughs> it weakens our worship. It becomes just words on a screen. It's just emotion we go through. So we're not given this license. So that's one view people have, is I can just continue doing what I want. The other view some have is that if I sin now that I'm saved, we get overcome with extreme guilt and condemnation. 
And we feel like we just weren't meant to be saved and we, we can't be saved. And, and so we just walk away and we, we, we give up on any intimate relationship with Jesus. We don't cultivate anything. Can I tell you this morning, both views are wrong, very, very wrong. Yes, you are saved. Yes, you are forgiven. And yes, your heart has been cleansed. But then you're called to guard your heart. As Paul said, work out your salvation. The potential to sin is always there. That's why there's still weeping and mourning and death and sorrow and grief on this earth. Because we are still in an atmosphere of sin, though we are redeemed. We are light in darkness. We are salt in an unsavory world. But the potential to sin is always there. Let me, let me back some of this up and then give you some more encouragement. John says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, can I just remind you, John is writing to Christians in the first century. He's writing to people that have confessed Christ. Jews and Gentiles, by the way. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. In other words, what he's saying is, don't just let your guard down because now that you're born again, you think you won't ever deal with that again, the sin again. No, Paul would even encourage us to recognize Satan's got a lot of schemes and we need to be aware of what his activity around us and toward us is. But John does say this, but when we do sin, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Confession. Acknowledge it to Jesus. Confess it immediately when it happens. When you wave at truck drivers on the freeway, get somewhere truly genuine, godly sorrow, confess it, repent, and ask God to strengthen. Romans 7, Paul has, leading up to these verses we're about to read, he has told us that uh, that he does things he doesn't want to do, and the things he knows he wants to do and should do, he, he, he doesn't always do. And he says, what in the what in the world is going on? So he says in Romans 7, verse 21, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Verse 22, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Verse 23, But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I still serve the law of sin. There's still that potential. But 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, let me insert this before we read on in Romans. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Do you realize when Jesus redeemed you, filled you with his Holy Spirit, and, and cleansed your heart, he, he, he set it up where you don't have to sin. You're not bound. You're not a slave to sin any longer. I have to want to, and sometimes that happens. So John says, I write this so that you will not sin, but anybody who does sin, again, John is writing to born-again individuals as you and I, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Mm. We're not supposed to sin. We don't have to sin, but we may still sin. Not 
by permission, but it may still happen. But when it does, we have an advocate. Jesus has not turned his back upon us. John said earlier in chapter 1, verse 9, if you will confess your sin, he is faithful to forgive your sin. When it happens, confess it. Get it right with Jesus because he's there willing to offer you the help you need. Because he saved you, he wants to He wants to help you stay saved. You ever pay a high price for a car and just run it into the ground, never changing the oil and never doing the maintenance on it, and you paid $50,000 for it and you drive it two years and the wheels fall off? No. Because you value it. Jesus isn't going to give up on you. But he is going to ask you, He is going to ask you to be faithful to his sacrifice. So then Paul goes on in Romans 8.1. He tells us how this is going to work. He says, there is no condemnation for us in Christ when we do sin. We don't stand condemned. We stand under the blood of Jesus. We confess. We repent. We ask God to strengthen. We ask God to move us forward. And how does that happen? Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin. He has filled us with his Holy Spirit. So yesterday, as I'm maneuvering my way through the madness of this online thing here, <clears throat> I, uh, the Lord spoke something to me, dropped it in my spirit very clearly. That when Adam and Eve sinned and they had to be removed from the garden, what did God do to guard the garden from unholiness? He put angels at the entrance to the garden with a flaming sword. And there they were positioned to guard the holiness of paradise. You know what has happened when Jesus came in and filled you and baptized you with his Holy Spirit? He set the Spirit at the guard of your heart. The fire, the flame, Pentecost and all of that, the fire and the flame of the Spirit has been set into your heart to guard you from unholiness and ungodliness. And the only way unholiness and ungodliness makes re-entry back into your heart is if you sneak around the activity of the Holy Spirit. If you decide not to listen to the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit prompts you and convicts you and quickens you in a moment not to say that, and you go ahead and say it anyway. Or you don't, you're just not supposed to be doing that, and the Holy Spirit's reminded you and reminded you and reminded you, and you just keep avoiding. That's where sin begins to take root again. Jesus is here to help us, friends. He did the glorious act of saving us and redeeming us and filling us with His Spirit, but He does the glorious act of keeping us in His place with Him. So I'm going to wrap it right here screenshot this or take a picture of this screen take it home with you and meditate on it because we're going to go through this rapidly how do we guard our heart how do we guard our heart when your heart's been cleansed by Jesus you've been filled with his Holy Spirit how are you going to guard your heart and, and, and walk more holy and upright and less in sinful state and acts one actively pursue spiritual growth set some disciplines in your life that help you grow spiritually Bible study, worship, being with other believers, worshiping with other believers, studying with other believers. Quickly repent when you sin. Don't just walk away. 
but stop and acknowledge to the Lord, Lord, I just sinned against you. I, I, please forgive me. Please forgive me. Get rid of bad habits. Okay, you just don't get to keep doing what you've always done once you're born again. Flee from temptation. When you see it coming, head the other way. Give up things that you know create temptation. Get rid of people that are creating the temptation. Don't go to the places that you know are going to stimulate the temptation. You have a problem with, you've had a problem with, with alcohol and alcoholism and the controlling influence of alcohol in your life. Bar ministry is probably not what Jesus has called you to. He's got another ministry for you. Your testimony will come into play, but it'll be in another place, I'm pretty sure. Love Jesus with all your heart. You've got to start moving things out and moving more of Jesus in. Fill your mind with God's Word. That means filling your mind with His Word, filling your mind with, with worship, filling your mind with godly things. Paul would talk about taking captive every thought to bring it under obedience to Jesus. Fill your mind with God's Word, and then lastly, respond to the Holy Spirit. Don't ignore the Holy Spirit in your life. When you know you're not supposed to, don't. When you know you're supposed to, do. 